Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 10, 11 and 12 as our base reading for this evening. And then we'll just see where we go from there, I think. It says, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And just pray. Lord, I pray this evening, Lord, that you would, Lord, guide everything that I say. Lord, direct me, Lord, to the very scriptures, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, that I don't open this book this evening, Lord, but you do. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that your spirit would reveal unto your people, Lord, just a word for now. Something that they will need, Lord, for now. Jesus, that they may be strengthened and blessed by it, Lord. Lord, I don't come and lean on my own understanding. But Lord, I stand up here, Lord, because of your spirit that is within each and every one of us this evening, Lord Jesus. Lord, we give you the glory. And Lord, we just ask for your direction this evening as we open up that blessed word of God. Lord, we're so thankful we have it. And Lord, we just be careful to give you all the glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The first thing you'll notice um, whenever you open the book of Ephesians, I know I've spoke on it a couple of times before, but the Ephesians, if you like, the church that they had, I suppose in modern day terminology you would maybe call it even a bit of a mega church. It was a it was a church that, that grew so quickly, so fast. Um, there was a lot of young converts in it. <clears throat> it was very new, it was very fresh, it was sort of just seemed to pop up out of nowhere. And as this happens, it was exciting for the people that were involved to see what the Lord was doing in the midst of that church, how he was moving greatly. How people were starting to see the glory of the Lord and they were starting to come from all around that area and from all around that region. And Paul, as we're probably all well aware, was, was, was writing from a prison as he, as he wrote this letter. But he felt compelled to, to write it because they were so young in the faith and because they needed a grounding of what was to come, because I think anybody who's been on the road with the Lord a while knows there's always a honeymoon period. You know, we all know that. We all know, you know, it's great to see, and you're, you're first saved, and you, and you feel that fire, and you start to see things, and it, boy, it's fantastic. But the Ephesian church were there, 
And Paul was saying, that's great. But he was trying to ground them and say, look, there's something got to come here. The Lord's got to move, but you've got to come up against something. You've got to get opposition. And that's what Paul was laying down to them. If you like, there's a few outlines to his letters. Um, in fact, the first three chapters of Ephesians, you'll find out that Paul's actually laying down to them. One of the most important things a Christian will ever, ever need to know in their life. And it's who they are in Christ and what they have access to. So you find if you turn over to chapter 1 of Ephesians, and we'll read from verse 3. And it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. I'll just stop there a minute. If you actually have a look at the Greek, it doesn't quite say it like that. It says, who's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. In the heavenlies, in Christ. And what the idea of that is, is you have access to everything. That's what it's trying to get across. When you're a believer, you have access to all the blessings in the heavenlies where you are now. In other words, it should come through you. That's what it's trying to get across to you in that verse. Verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now this statement alone was earth-shattering at the time. To say that you were chosen from the very foundation of the world was was mind-boggling to theologians and everything when Paul comes out with a statement like this. But what's amazes me is that the Lord knew us right from right from the very start. Before there was a sinner on the earth, there was a saviour in the heavens. And he knew who we were. And he already had his finger upon us. It was the same with the cross. He'd already known right in the very first sentence of our Bible. That cross, in his mind, was already done. There was already victory in place. And that's the assurance that we have here. And this is what Paul is trying to get across to these young believers, these young Christians. Verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, I've always said... If you ever want to start a riot in a meeting, just mention predestination. It usually, yeah, that usually works. That's usually enough. But whether we like it or not, the Bible uses it. Predestinated. And predestinated, if I was to stand here and say, right, I'm going to explain what predestination to you is, I don't think anybody truly ever could, in all honesty. Because I believe it's one of them things that the Lord understands, that the Lord knows. But you know, sometimes we as human beings cannot comprehend what the Lord does or even who he is at times. 
though just the whole majesty of it. You know, and we find when it says predestination, and people say, well, I can't accept that, and then they say, well, you know, God's this, how can he predestinate somebody? The only thing I can say to that is, sometimes we have to let God be God. Because that is who he is. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth, and sometimes we just have to let him be him. But I want to draw your attention to something else. It says the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Now that word adoption there is a very interesting word. Because it gives you the idea of, in the Roman world, they would have had, if you like, high status families. And a lot of times what they would have done was if there was uh, maybe young children especially young males, they would take them and they would adopt them into their own family because they would, a lot of the Romans, when they were wealthy, they would like to have big families. So they had heirs to that. And then they would be brought up into the family. They'll be taken maybe even sometimes from a poorer family if they couldn't have children themselves and just adopted into the family as one of their own. Even the kings of Egypt used to do this because we find that with Moses. He was adopted and he was going to be the heir to the throne. So it was a common it was a common thing to do. But you see, when they were adopted, whether it was like a royal family or whether it was like a high status family, if you like, in the Roman world, as soon as they were adopted, everything that that family had, name, title, wealth, position, everything was then bestowed upon the person that was adopted. That's what this verse says to us. The adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to his good pleasure and his will. He's saying that he's adopted us into this family. So every benefit that Jesus Christ has, everything you now have access to. That's what Paul's really trying to push on to the Ephesians here. But there's a reason for it. In that verses that we just read, He's trying to ground them and say, this is who you are in Jesus Christ. And they're going to need to know this. And then, if you come along to chapters 4 through 6, if you turn, in fact, to chapter uh, 4, and you look at the very first verse, and this gives you more or less what chapters 4 through 6 is. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord... Beseech you that you walk worthily of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And you notice something here, he says, wherewith ye are called. Now he's talking to the whole church. And notice he didn't say there's only some of you that are called. And he's not, <clears throat> he's not talking about being saved. Because he's talking to people that are saved. He's saying to them, if you're the Lord's, You've been called to do something. And now he's talking to each and every one of them. And we are the same now. If we're the Lord's, we've been called to do something. We are never, ever called to sit in a pew. Never. Because the Lord blesses you with everything that he has. So then you will go forth in his name and show people Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what it is. 
You don't have to be a man in a pulpit to do it. And that everybody thinks, well, you know, somebody in the pulpit, that's, that's what they do. No, no, we all do it. We can all do something. It doesn't matter what we do. We can all show Jesus Christ in our life. I always said the greatest witness is not even when we speak to somebody, but it's how we conduct ourselves. I always remember, you know, I always remember when I first met my father-in-law and when I first met Angela's uncle. They didn't have to say anything to me. I knew there was something different about them just by the way they conducted themselves. And then I realised what it was. It was Jesus Christ. They knew Jesus Christ. That was the difference. They were different to the rest of the world. They were different to other people. That's what he's saying. The call of the Lord in your life. So if you want to turn back to our base reading, and we've got to get to verse 10. And we'll just read it again. Notice as he's coming towards the end of his letter, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You notice something, he says, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in him, not in your own strength. That's one of the biggest mistakes we make, is our own strength. Because you see, a lot of the times the church, I'm not being funny, when we've just read the foundation that Paul was trying to put into the early believers there, I would say 90% of the church doesn't have that. They really don't understand or don't know who they are in Jesus Christ and what they've got access to. And this is one of the big stumbling blocks to the church today. Because Paul here is saying, right, now you go forward in the Lord. And notice, be strong in the Greek. is edunamo. And it means to be strong, to be endued with strength, to be bold, or listen to this, to be in union with the Lord. If you'd like to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3 and 16. Paul lays it out for them here. says, know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And here he's using the example of the temple. Now the temple was the most sacred thing, especially in Judaism at that time, was the temple because it was always known that the glory of the Lord come down. But this is what Paul's saying, you see now, you're the temple. And people were like, well, how can we be the temple? Because they, they remember Solomon. They remember, <clears throat> oh, Solomon had to make all these sacrifices and that the glory of the Lord had to come down, that the high priest could only ever go in there. But now Paul's saying, no, the glory of the Lord can come down. It manifests itself in you. What he's trying to say, it's Jesus Christ in you. This is Jesus Christ in you. Now you have to rely on his strength. How did he do it? Colossians 1 and 13, please. 
who have delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Again, if you look in the Greek for this, it gives the idea of somebody taking you from out of the influence of something. But the Greek actually gives the idea of taking you out a tyrannical kingdom, taking you out, and literally physically putting you somewhere else into a better place. It's like rescuing somebody from somewhere. It's like setting the captives free. That's what it gives the idea of. You go back to Ephesians 6 and 10. And you will see in that verse... There's a word power. And the word power in the Greek is kraktos. Now this means a mighty deed or a work of power that gave dominion. Now turn with me to Colossians 2 again please. You've got to be doing a bit of turning tonight, so. Colossians 2, verse 13. And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled principalities, powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now you'll notice there's three points in these three verses here. Having forgiven your trespasses. As I heard a preacher once said, not only did he die for the sins of the sinner, but he also died for the failures of the saints. Now that's not a license to sin, but trespass, trespasses, sins was all dealt with at the cross. Once and for all. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us. Now he's talking about all the ceremony, that ritual, that, 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 that animal sacrifice. That's all been done. It's been paid for now. One perfect sacrifice. It's Jesus Christ. And then he says, having spoiled principalities, powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. Now, <clears throat> you'll find with this verse, Paul makes a reference to something that people would know quite a lot of being under the, the Roman influence. Because this was something that Paul was talking about was a parade. It was a victory parade that the Caesars would have had. And this is what he's almost comparing it to. And what would have happened when they conquered somebody? 
especially if there was a certain region where they'd been fighting for a long time, what they would have done was they would have put the leader onto an old cart with a pole and tied him to it. And they would have paraded him through the middle of Rome. And what you'd notice was that the Caesar would then be in front of him, but he would be up at a higher level. So it shows you that he was over him. And he would go through and they would have all the regalia and all the people and there would be a massive parade of the victorious army going through with the Caesar. And you know what he always had and sat on? He always sat on a white charger. Does that ring any bells, that? In Revelation. He always sat on a white charger because that was the symbol of complete victory. So that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying you have a complete victory in Christ. You must remember this. You must remember this. And then finally in verse 10, we have a Greek word there which is might. Which is ezekius. Ezekius. And it means to extend one's ability. Or the ability to extend Christ's influence. That's what it means. So it's amazing when you look at it. Paul saying, you're not to come in your own strength. You now have the strength of the Lord. You have the blood that has made you sons and daughters unto Christ. And now you have the power to exercise dominion over your enemies. So all of this, when you get the summary of it, is to be endued with strength because of the union with the Lord, because of his might, because of his work, the work that he accomplished, and the ability to extend his influence. So now he's saying, all your enemies are under your feet. Now you're in Christ, you go forth, you're not frightened of anything. What you have to do is be focused on who he is, what he's done in you, what he's done for you, now go forth. Now, they're probably wondering, why is Paul trying to hammer this point home to us? Because that's what he is when when you read it through. It's the same theme all the way through his message. Why is he? Because in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 4. And he tells us how we've got to wage war. This is how he tells us. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and verse 4. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. See what he's saying? He says, you may walk in the flesh, But don't war after the flesh, whatever you do. It has to be through the spirit. It has to be through the weapons that the Lord has given you. And this is to be in prayer. This is to come before the Lord, to be filled with his spirit. To know his leading. To let the flesh decrease and him to increase in your life. That's how you've got to overcome but you know, the pulling down of strongholds, and I know people pray it a lot of the time, say, well, 
Let's pull down the strongholds of the enemy. Yeah. And the right to a point. But you see what the Greek here has is in strongholds is, believe it or not, this. He's saying, pull down the strongholds in your own mind. And I'll tell you why. Anybody will tell you, believe it or not, you probably wouldn't believe it now, but believe it or not, <clears throat> I used to do quite a bit of boxing. No, I don't mean Saturday night outside the pubs, though it used to happen a few times. That was before I was saved. <laughs> I used to do quite a bit of boxing. And I remember I was always told, <clears throat> you'll win or lose a fight up here. That's what I was always told. And it was true. If you had it up there, and that's what Paul's saying, have you got it up here? And then he tells them, because remember, they have access. They would have had access to a lot of his letters because they're all duplicated. They're all written down, hand by hand, from one from the original. So they could give them out to the other believers. So go to Romans 12 and 2 for me. This is what he's saying to them. Be not conformed to this world, look, but be ye, look, transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's how you bring down the stronghold. It's the renewing of the mind. To the word of God. It's getting in a place of. If you like in a boxing term then. It's getting in a place of where you train that much. That you no longer think about it but you react. You don't have to think about it because you've trained that hard. You just react to it. That's what Paul's saying. It's you've got the word in you that much that you will know straight away when things aren't right. Stay away from it. It's like alarm bells ringing off. Because when you get to that place where your mind is renewed to the word of God, you know to stay away from the pitfalls of the enemy. That's what he's saying. Because he will trap you every time into coming into the flesh. Or he'll try and make something attractive to you in the flesh. But you see, when your mind's renewed, bang, straight away, no, I'm staring clear of that. And that's what he's trying to get across to them. I'd like to venture into the Old Testament now. <clears throat> Proverbs 4. Please. <clears throat> verse, verse 20. Proverbs 4 and verse 20. says, my son, attend to my words, incline thy ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thy eyes. Keep them in the midst of thy heart. Verse 22 says, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. So listen. So it says, 
Son, attend to my words. This tells us that the words of God have authority to take notice of them. Incline thine ear unto thy sayings. This means to lean in and listen intently to what they have to say. Let them not depart from thy eyes. It means read it, to listen to it, to mull it over. In other words, let the word of God circulate through your mind. And then it says, keep them in the midst of thy heart to continually meditate on the word, for they are life unto those that find them and health and to all other flesh. It means freedom. There's a the freedom in it. There's a freedom to break the chains. It's a freedom to understand what the Lord is doing. <clears throat> and then if you like to turn to John, 1 John chapter 5 and 18. <clears throat> this is a verse I've, I've said quite a few times. But it's very, very seldom ever come up in the church nowadays. Especially when they're talking about the enemy coming against people. Or <clears throat> they're saying the enemy's attacking me. And But this is a promise and this is what we have to understand. And this is what I was leading up to. If you're renewing your mind, you get the word of God circulating in here. Then we get to this verse, 1 John 5.18. We know that whoever is born of God sinneth not. Now he's not saying that you can't sin no more. But he's saying because you're in Christ, if you're living right, then everything's been done. As I said, it's been paid for. right? But he that is begotten of God, look, keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. It's exactly what Paul was saying in, in Romans, in that verse. You've got the word of God in there you'll be able to keep yourself. You'll be able to walk in what the Lord's got for you. It doesn't mean about, you know, we all stumble and fall. We all know that because we're just who we are. But he's saying you won't be in a course of habitual sin where the devil will be able to get you, pick you out. That's what it means. And as I've said many times before, there's a lot of people make Jesus Christ They'll make him saviour, but they're not willing to make him Lord. And Lord is very different to making him saviour. Lord is when he is Lord over your life, and he dictates what you do. It's very, very different. And the church really has to get back to that, making him Lord again. <clears throat> Second Timothy, please. <clears throat> Second Timothy, verse 2. I really do need a new Bible. Pages coming out all places. Second yeah. Timothy. Yeah, chapter 2. Yeah, chapter 2, verse 3. It says this. Thou therefore endure, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who have chosen him to be a soldier. You see, Timothy gets the gist of what Paul's saying. Let's just be honest. <clears throat> if you're going to walk with the Lord, 
you've got to come up against opposition. If a church is on the right track, it's got to attract the attention of the enemy. That's what Paul's saying anyway. That's what happens. The enemy's got to come against you. And Timothy says, you know what? You've got to get battle scores. (laughs) You've got to get it, but you've got to come through it. And don't entangle yourself with the things of the world. You see the burden that the world will put on you, the world will put on you, will crush you. But you see, in Jesus, his burden is light. There's a peace in it. This is what Timothy's saying. You see, when you really know the Lord, there's a peace in what you're doing. There's a security in what you're doing because you even know that when that time comes, should the Lord tarry and we go the same way in death as everybody else, we have a security in Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter with this body. This body can be destroyed. But you know what? That very breath that you breathe was given to you by Jesus Christ and that can never be destroyed. That's eternal. And this is what Timothy's saying. Stand up. Be a good soldier. The prize is for you. And it's glorious through Jesus Christ. Turn to Ephesians 6, please. Back to Ephesians 6. I want to read verse 11 again. It says, Put on the whole armour of God, that ye may, may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, wiles here is a Greek word, methodia. And it means the cunning arts or deceitful trickery. If you get into it a bit more, it actually means an ambusher. Or somebody who lays in wait and will watch you until the weakness comes. Or what they'll do is try and draw you out into a place where you're vulnerable and then attack you. This is what it means. And you see, the devil will always try to get you to react in the flesh. You see, many, many times he'll try and get you to react in the flesh to something. And really your answer is in the spirit. It's in prayer. It's to the Lord. And trust me, I've been there many, many times, especially when I'm in the car for some reason. But you start to react in the flesh and you go, oh Lord, no. That's when you have to put it away. Say no. But you also have to recognise it as well. Because in the next verse it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now you'll find many, many places that you'll find the influence of the devil, when you have a look, is through people. Many, many times you'll find it is people. A lot of times the Bible does show you the spiritual reference, but it's showing you the power that's behind it. Even in the Prince of Tyre and Ezekiel 28, 
you'll find when the prophet Ezekiel goes and speaks to him, sooner or later he turns around and he says, when you were in the Garden of Eden. Well, the Prince of Tyre was never in the Garden of Eden. But then he goes on and then you realise he's talking to Lucifer. But he's the power behind that man. He's using him. Again, it's with Daniel. When you see with Daniel in chapter 10, I think it's verse 18, when he's praying and then the angel comes in, Michael, and he strengthens him and then he says, I've got to go. And he's warring with the the prince of Persia and then he is on about the Grecian, the king of Grecia, that's it, the king of Grecia. Straight away you see the power that was behind them thrones. It was the enemy. There were men, but it was the power behind them. And this is why we can never, ever look at a person. Even in the church. You know, there are many people that have fell because they've had their eyes on somebody else and said, well, sure, they're doing it and nothing seems to be happening to them. And they've been led astray so, so many times because of that. You have to keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. And the reason I'm telling you this tonight, and I mean this now, is because I believe because of this place, because of this church, we're doing some good things here. But the enemy's not going to like it. And he's got to come against us. But I'm telling you now, you're grounded in Jesus Christ. You know who you are in Jesus Christ. You have to get to that place where you say, I know who I am. And you see when you start <clears throat> moving the things of the Lord, and I'm just going to give you a tip that was useful in my life. You see whenever you start to <clears throat> see things, whether it's sickness in somebody, whether it's an oppression, or whatever it is, and you recognize what's behind it, because I'm telling you something now, sickness and all that, it's all of the enemy. I can tell you that for nothing. And you see when you get into prayer, and I've all, I remember somebody telling me this, and it was one of the best things I was ever told. You see when you go to pray for somebody that's sick like that, the time for praying to God is over. And this may sound strange, because it did to me at first, but he says you command that to go through the authority of Jesus Christ. And you have a look whenever the disciples or anybody else, because I checked it out on this when I heard it, because I was like, what? But whenever you look, they commanded it to go in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because what Paul was saying to the Ephesians, church, you have all them blessings. The Lord's put everything on you. He made a show of them principalities and powers of darkness, and he's given you dominion over the enemy. So you go forth and you have the ability to have that influence, to spread the influence of Jesus Christ, to spread the influence of his kingdom. How? By using his name, his authority through you, knowing who you are in Christ and say, devil, go in Jesus' name. And that's what Paul's trying to get across to the Ephesians church. And even now, This is one of the big lessons the church needs to know. We have to step up. We have to understand who we are in Christ. We have to know what he's done for us. We have to know the victory on the cross. And bam! 
The enemy's done with. He's under our feet. In the name of Jesus Christ. And we have to be good soldiers and go forth. Because what good is a soldier if he can't go forth and do the commander's will? And that's what we have to do. That's who we are in Christ. Just want to leave you with this. Romans 13, verse 11. Romans 13, verse 11. We'll read it through to 14. This is my my last point. It says this. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of our sleep. Isn't that true? For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armour of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in clambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on, listen to this, the Lord Jesus Christ. And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You know what Paul is saying? You see that armour of God that people always go on about? And you hear people praying it over them? Well, I'm sorry to tell you, it's putting on Jesus Christ. That's the armour of God. You need to know who you are in him. Because that's your whole armour. Jesus Christ. If you got Jesus Christ, you know who you are in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. You have the whole armor of God on. It's as simple as that. God bless you, everybody.